God good? This morning as we take a look at uh, Mark chapter 6, I want to challenge you a little bit because part of the issue in Mark chapter 6, what's going on well, primarily in the lives of the disciples, we'll talk about in a moment, and in the lives of the people who are, are trying to follow Jesus, is they want to... They want a Savior. Oftentimes we come to a place where we want a Savior, but we want a Savior that saves us our way. That meets our needs according to our plan. That meets us where we are with, with uh, obviously the best laid plans that we've put together. And So Jesus, as He looks at the multitudes today, He says... He has compassion on them because they're sheep without a shepherd. That's not because a shepherd's not there. Don't think they don't have one. They just don't want one. And the question that we have to roll through our minds as we look at the scriptures, the same struggle the disciples were having. They had a concept of how their shepherd was going to do things. How the king was going to work. How the Messiah was going to accomplish his perfect plan. And it didn't quite fit in their minds. The same way the scriptures told us Messiah would come. Sometimes we start to look at our lives and our issues and our problems and the ups and the downs. And we start to think that, that maybe, you know, if God would just do this or that and we are... Hard-hearted to what God is doing. Now, hopefully as we look at the scriptures today, God will help us understand those things. Let's look at Mark chapter 6, verse 30. As we begin, it says, And the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So he said to him, Come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. So the disciples just come back from ministering, and they're excited about what, what happened. But one of the things that we recognize is they're really excited about what they did. What they did, what they taught. When they got sent out, do you remember how they got sent out? Don't take anything with you. Just go, and Jesus said, I give you authority. All their ability, their power, their, the blessing behind what they did was, a, was an empowerment that Christ gave them. And so they come back, and they're, they're excited about what they've done. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to be excited about that stuff. But Jesus is looking for an opportunity to teach them. So he says, come, let's go to a deserted place. And you know what the disciples thought? Well, we get some alone time with Jesus. Isn't that what you would have thought? Nowhere in there does Jesus say, hey, let's go have some alone time. Just me and you guys. He don't say that. Jesus is not shocked by the events that are going to take place. He says, let's go to a deserted place. Because everything that Jesus does for his disciples and for us is all about a lesson. It's all about growth, learning, understanding, 
recognizing where, where we're weak and He is strong. Seeing the fingerprints of God on our life. And so we want to have those kind of eyes. The disciples had a hard time with that. It says that everywhere they went, people were always after Him, right? They couldn't even eat. People are always coming and going, coming and going. And a lot of times you'll, you'll hear the concept, well, sooner or later you just have to tell the people no. I don't know. When Jesus says no, he just goes away. And they can't get to him. On top of a mountain. He goes someplace where the people aren't. And we need times of refreshment. And we need times to get away. But Second Timothy, Scripture calls us in chapter 4, says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at its appearing and in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. It's interesting because when we look at the, the phrase, be ready in season and out of season, it's m- more literally whether it's convenient or not. You're always ready to tell somebody about Jesus even if it's not convenient? That phone rings and you look at that caller ID. Oh. Yeah, no, he's calling me. When you, when you see it, are you ready to do what God's asking? Be ready to preach the word. Herald Jesus Christ. Every moment. Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's his final words. He's, he's headed to the headsman's axe. He's going to die. And as he's on his way there, he's got a sense of urgency. Jesus, when he was here, he knows, man, I got a short time. And there's so many people lost. So what do we find him doing? Sun goes up, he's out there with them. Sun goes down, he's with them. When he needs a break, what's he do? Bible's pretty clear, he gets up early in the morning. I've never had no, well, I haven't had too many people come at three in the morning. So when I get up at 3 in the morning to spend time with the Lord, I have no interruptions. My wife doesn't see me sitting silently at the table and say, Hey, I have some honeydews for you. Or Joe doesn't see me sitting there and say, Dad, can you fix my Xbox? Or any other number of things that can occur on any given day. Not too many people calling. If they do, it's never good. But if I have got my time, I'm ready. And that word's not just for a pastor. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, was to be read to the church. For all of God's people, be ready. We always got to be ready. Why? Because a multitude has a multitude of needs. Multitude. Look at the next phrase, verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. Man, can't catch a break. And Jesus, when he came out, saw the multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So what did he do? So he began to teach them, Many things. 
Jesus saw them and was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what did he give them? I'm sure a lot of them needed healing. And I'm sure a lot of them needed some money. And I'm sure a lot of them needed some help with one thing or another. But the first thing Jesus gave them was the thing they needed the most. He taught them. He shared with them the truth. He began to open the word to them and teach. Laying out for them the things that they would need. Why? Because he had compassion. He had compassion because they were shepherdless sheep. In Numbers 27, listen, Moses is is getting ready to to go into his sunset. And as he does, he has this, this prayer before the Lord. It says, Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, who may go out before them, and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, and the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep who have no shepherd. Jesus saw the people. He saw what the people needed. He saw what the disciples couldn't see. Sometimes we see the multitudes and we see a problem. Or a hassle. Or some issues that we have to deal with. But that wasn't the way Jesus looked at the people. Jesus looked at them and said, I know what you need. He understood what they needed most. And so he fed them what they needed most. The word of God. He, he fed them what they needed. That, that hunger in their life. They could never quite put their finger on. No, nothing's ever really satisfying. Anything you ever longed for that you got later on. You longed for something else. It didn't, it didn't satiate your desire. The need. It's interesting because when we consider it the... I'm going to give you a quote from an atheist who got it right. Most of the times, guys, a person is not an atheist because of lack of evidence. People are not sheep without a shepherd because there is no shepherd. They're sheep without a shepherd because they don't want to follow the shepherd. Listen to to what Jean-Paul Sartre had to say. He said this, God does not exist. I cannot deny that my whole entire being cries out for God. I cannot forget. He said, God does not exist. That I cannot deny. But my whole entire being cries out for God. That I can't forget. What he's saying is, I have a need, a desire for something nothing else can satisfy. Nothing else. The only thing that will bring that satiation is that relationship with Jesus Christ when the shepherd comes. I don't believe in God, but I'm hungry for something. But I just can't quite put my finger on what it is. And I want that something... To fit in my box. To have only the strings attached to it that I can agree with. It doesn't have any issues that that I think are archaic or strange. It's got to fit like this. And if it does, 
Well, then I'll eat it. But if it doesn't, then I'll turn away and I'll go my way. But they can't ever really satisfy that spiritual hunger. So as the people are gathering around Jesus, and Jesus sees them move with compassion, teaching them, tells them they look like sheep without a shepherd. The reason I say they have no shepherd because they want no shepherd is because of what the Bible says. You guys all know it. Psalm 23, how's it start? The Lord is my shepherd. So why are they without a shepherd? God's not gone. God's not dead. They don't want him. They don't want him. And so they go around trying to figure it out themselves. Trying to put the plan together themselves. Trying to to put a concept together that's going to work, that's going to flow themselves. Look at Psalm 23. And as we go through the scriptures uh, this morning, I just want to invite you as we... As we work our way through all the, the entire chapter, I want you to look and consider all that, uh, that Psalm 23 speaks toward. All the things that Psalm 23 lays out. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's moved with compassion. He begins to teach them many things. Now when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him. And they said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Jesus sees their need, sees the opportunity to preach the word, to share the gospel, To teach them the things that they need. The disciples see only problems. Problems are pretty easy to see. You guys ever had a hard time seeing what's wrong with something? Uh, Mankind does not ever have a hard time figuring out what's wrong with something. He has a hard time figuring out how to do something about what's wrong. But not necessarily about what's wrong. When I coach football, I shared with you I coached football for a lot of years. It would take me three seconds. I could find something wrong with every single play we watched on video. No problem. I had to work hard to find those things to say that they did good. It was easy to see the things that were wrong. Step with the wrong foot. Got too high. Any number of issues as we're watching, working our way through the film. But what, what was hard was to find what's good. The disciples see the problem. They see the problem. Oh, this is an issue. This is, they don't have no food. God, we got to send them out of here. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. They're a hassle, problem. They're lost and they act like it. Do you ever felt that way? They're lost and they act like it. 
Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When it's convenient, when it's not. Well, so Jesus is going to, this is all, remember we started, it's all a lesson for the disciples. They're all excited about all the work they've been doing. Jesus says, let's go to a deserted place. In that deserted place, multitude of people. Multitude of people with needs and wants and desires that Jesus begins to teach. So the disciples say, Lord, you've got to send them away. What's Jesus saying? He answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, that had to melt their noodle just a little bit. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. You guys, I forget to bring food with me everywhere I go. When I go fishing, I'm so excited about going fishing that I forget food. And, and if you're counting on eating the fish I catch, you're going to starve to death. So if I was sitting out there just traveling across the, the lake on a day when I thought I was going fishing, hanging out with Jesus, I get to the other side and Jesus says, give him something to eat. I'd be like, oh, I, don't got, I got a little lint in my pocket. That's it. It's an impossible problem. I can't solve this problem. You know, the sooner we come to that realization, the better off we'll be. I can't solve this problem. Because a lot of us still think we can solve it. Just like the disciples thought, they cast out demons and healed people. Well, Jackie, what are you talking about? They did. No, they didn't. Jesus did. Jesus empowered them to go. Jesus was the answer to the problem. But all they see is the problem. Oh! You go feed them. So what do the disciples say? Look what they say. So they said to him, Well, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? That, by the way, is sarcasm in the Bible. <laughs> Can you imagine? Look, I, get, I feel guilty when I'm sarcastic toward my wife. Can you imagine being a disciple and being sarcastic toward God? Well, should we go? They probably did a voice. You guys do voices when you get upset, don't you? Somebody tells you to do something you don't like. Man, I would not want to be those guys. So should we go? They, they probably don't have 200 denarii. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of money. So he's saying, should we go buy them bread? So I like this part. But he said to them, Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? What do you have? What do you have? The whole purpose, guys, the whole concept, the whole understanding is little is much in the hands of God. But little is only much in the hands of God. What did the disciples have when they went out teaching and preaching, sharing the word of the gospel, healing and casting out demons? What did they have? They didn't have much. They had just a bunch of uh, knuckleheads. But, the, but Jesus empowered them. They were willing. So they took what little they had, and, and God put his hands on a blessed them, said, I give you authority, go. And so they go. But they came back excited about what they did. 
So they go to a deserted place for a lesson. And at that lesson, 5,000 men... The Bible doesn't tell us there were women and children. Everybody always adds that part. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. I'll tell you why in a minute. But there's at least 5,000 guys. They're gathered together. They're hungry. They want something to eat. The disciples are like, well, we can't solve this problem. This is too big of a problem. And, and we can't solve this problem. And so Jesus says, what do you have? Five loaves, two fish. Was it theirs? I love Mark don't tell us that. Where'd they get the five loaves, two fish? From a little kid's lunch. So at least one of them dads brought their son. And he's the only one in the crew that was smart enough to bring something to eat. And so the disciples go looking around. I don't know what we have. We don't have anything. Do you have anything? No, I don't have anything. Wait, there's a kid over there. He's just about to sit down and eat his lunch. Quick, go get it. (laughs) You might be right. His mom might have packed it. So he goes and he gets his lunch. He's got five loaves, two fish. Now what they do next with it is the important part of the lesson. But they're not going to understand it until later on. What's that important part? You take what you got and you give it to the Lord. Realizing that what you have is not the solution to the problem, but it's a willingness to be used. Go. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. So they say, this is what we got. This is what we got. Five loaves, two fish. So he commanded them, make them all sit down in groups in the green grass. I like how I said that. Remember I told you, keep in mind Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What's he make you do? Lie down in green pastures. Tell all the people to sit down. Just tell them to sit down. Put them in groups. I love it. Puts them in groups. They sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish... He looked up to heaven, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they ate and were filled. Don't miss what he did. Jesus took what they gave. He blessed what they gave. He broke what they gave. And then he gave it out. Still the same way today when we want to minister and reach people and touch people's lives you offer what you have maybe it's not much it's a little bit you offer it to the lord he takes it he blesses it he blesses it not because there's anything special in you or me he blesses it because he loves the willingness the faith in him so he blesses it don't miss the next part he breaks it because we can't do nothing when we think it's us We have to know it's not us. So we get broke. And then he sends us out. Then he gives it out to them. And what happens? The same lesson. You guys see the lesson going on? It's an illustration for the disciples. And the disciples are so irritated because they're not having alone time with Jesus. And there's all these people and they want food. And what a pain in the neck they are. That they are missing it all. But you know, Jesus is so patient. 
Not only does he not get angry with his disciples, he doesn't get angry with the people. He just serves. He just serves them. He just tries to meet their need. He just tries to do what they need. So it says they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. 5,000 men. All gathered in a hotbed of insurrectionist activity. Following a guy who was doing a lot of miracles and was starting to look like a savior, a deliverer. And somehow, in the middle of nowhere, they all gather around at least 5,000 men. We know there's at least one boy with them. Winning to make Jesus king. Did you know that? John chapter 6, 14 and 15. John chapter 6 tells us they wanted to take him by force and make him king. Man, we need, this is the guy. We need to make him king now. We need to make him king. We, we got we to we do this. They're looking for a shepherd, but they want a shepherd their way. They're not satisfied with the shepherd that taught them the word. All they can think about is a shepherd gave me bread. Oh, my belly's full. I'm happy. All my needs are met. If I can pay all my bills, and if I always got a job, and if I never get sick, and if life is always rosy, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you lead. They want a Savior their way. They want a Savior their way. John 6, 14 and 15 says, Then those men who had seen the sign that Jesus did, this feeding of the 5,000, they said, Truly this is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to take, come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself to be alone. They want a guerrilla leader. That's what they're there for. They're there for to get a guerrilla leader. They want a guerrilla leader. They want a guy who's going to go whoop Rome. Put them down, get this whole thing squared away, get us all going straight. But of course, you know, whenever somebody chooses a guerrilla leader, anytime they choose a savior, anytime they choose a messiah, they want that person as long as they're going down their road. And Jesus wasn't going down anybody else's road. He was going down his road. God's road. God's way. God's plan. God's purpose. God's issue. In Isaiah chapter 40, I want you to hear how the, how the prophets describe the shepherd that the people of Israel need. The one spoken of in Psalm 23. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. Look at it. Isaiah 40, 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. What, what did Jesus just do? Did he just feed him? Did he just have him lay down in green pastures? Did he give them what they really needed first? And he also met their physical needs. Wow. Just like a shepherd, right? He'll lead his, he'll feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm. Think about Jesus and the little ones. You remember? Suffer not the little ones and let them come for of such is the kingdom of God. Bringing the little ones in. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. 
and gently lead those who are with young. Sound like a gorilla? Sound like a gorilla leader? A rebel? Somebody ready to go to war? Kill everybody who has a different mindset? No, that's what we do. Sometimes we do it in God's name, but that's what we do. He says, you have a shepherd. But when the people want to make him king, Jesus notices it. He gets the vibe, right, that they're trying to make him king. So look what he does in verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. He's like, man, the disciples, they, they, don't, they didn't get this lesson yet. I can see it in their eyes. And when all these guys start chanting my name and wanting to make me king, the disciples are going to jump right in and say, yeah, let's do it. So he put the disciples in a boat and he said, lesson number two. Let's try it again. They didn't catch that lesson, so we'll try this one. So they put him in a boat. And they made him go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. <clears throat> and while he sent the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. You know how Jesus sends multitudes away? He says things they don't like. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. What do you mean? Unless I am in you, unless I'm a part of you, we have no part together. And so they departed. Said, this is a hard teaching. Who can understand it? Jesus had ways of bringing out difficult things. Things people didn't want to hear. And then they'd walk away. What did it show? It showed their heart. What were they looking for? King. What did he offer them? A savior. I want a savior. I want a king. But he, in order to have a king, you've got to have a Savior. You can't have one without the other. And you need the Savior first. You've got to be saved. You've got to have Him touch your soul, your heart, your life. So it says, He sends a multitude away. And when He had sent them away, He departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and He was alone on the land. Look what it says. And He saw them straining at the rowing, for the wind was against them. So Jesus is watching them. If you go to the Sea of Galilee, you get a chance to travel. We're, we're, a couple of years we're going to go to Israel. And when we do, we'll get an opportunity to check out this mountain where Jesus was on praying. It's the only one around the Sea of Galilee. He makes it easy. He's on this mountain praying, and you can see all the way across the lake. And so there's the disciples. They're in a boat. A storm comes on them again. Now they remember the last storm, right? They had a storm. Remember, they panicked. Jesus calmed the waves. So this time we don't see panic. What do we see? Rowing, 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 rowing. So the good thing, they're staying busy. They're rowing. The bad thing, it's a lot of self-effort. Jesus sent them out, gave them power. They came back excited about what they did. Jesus gave them the lesson of the multitude. Look at their needs. Meet their needs. How do I meet their needs? I don't have enough. Well, you give little to the Lord. I give you power, and it gets done. Well, they miss that lesson. So they get in a boat, and they're in the storm, and the storm's blowing, and it's coming down, and they're rowing like crazy. 
They're rowing like crazy and they're not even really thinking about Jesus because he's not there. Right? But what did the Bible say? He was watching them. Is God ever watching you in the storm? Has Jesus ever got his eyes on you when you're in the midst of the crazy and you're pretty sure you got all the solutions? Is he there on top of the hill watching going, wow, look at them guys work. Man, don't they know they don't have as much strength as that storm? I don't know. You, you, you tell me. You ever been to the beach and stopped a wave? No. You haven't? Yeah, you can just go stand right in front of them and stop them, can't you? Just stand in the wave. Here it comes. Ah! I got it. That one didn't hit the sand. Oh, yeah, it doesn't work. So, do we think we can stop the storm by our own efforts? Sometimes we do. And we're rowing. And I'm glad they're not panicking. They're going. It's good. They know Jesus can stop the storm, but he's not there. So since Jesus isn't here, I got to just work, right? I got to work. I got to make it happen. We got to row, row, bail, bail. Come on, get the water out. So get a bucket and they're throwing the water out and a wave comes over the top of the boat. You ever been in a thing like that? Oh, it's kind of crazy. We went duck hunting one time. And three overweight guys got in one canoe. I won't tell you who the three overweight guys were. I'll just leave it to your imagination. We're in this canoe. Now the canoe is like weighted for, or, or rated for like 300 pounds. And we're almost three times that. So it's a bad plan. But we went to go duck hunt, so we get in. And the guy who's rowing, every time he comes back, splashes water into the canoe. Now the canoe is about a half inch above the water line. So every time that paddle comes up, all the water, he just went, comes in. Right on my lap. And I'm looking at it going, this is not good. And every time that water comes in, that canoe gets a little lower. And a little lower. But the marine in me is thinking, this is going to work out somehow. Because every time marines get in a boat, we just figure somebody else knows what they're doing. So we're in a boat and all of a sudden the dude who's driving jumps out. Fortunately, he could touch where he was, and he pulls over to the shore and says, yeah, guys, it's not going to work. Newsflash, you're right, this is not going to work. More water's coming in, and it's coming in faster than we can get it out. So, the disciples are going through the same thing. Get the water out, get the water out. Water comes in. Get the water out, get the water out. Use, paddle. What are you doing? Paddle. You see the work, right? The work is happening. Jesus is watching. And so scripture says, now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. So that's late, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they've been at it a long time. They've been at it a long time. Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Look at, listen to this phrase. I just want you to hear it. And he would have passed them by. Do you see it? Is this not a lesson? Jesus says, look, I need to remind these guys that I exist. 
So I'm going to walk out there, and I'm just going to walk by them. See if they see me. Now, in walking on the water, Jesus is saying a couple of things. The first one I don't want you to miss is he's saying, I am Almighty God. I am Almighty God. Nobody walks on the water. Nobody walks on the water. Scientists try to figure out how this works. Oh, he walked on a sandbar. Oh, come on. Guys, that doesn't fit with the story. The story is not Jesus walking on a sandbar. He's walking on the water. He's walking on the water. Well, listen, this is why he does it. In Job 9.8, it says, He alone spreads out the heavens, talking about God, and walks on the waves of the sea. He alone, God Almighty. Job 38.16 says, Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked the recesses of the deep? So twice Job talked about the fact that God could walk on the water. Nobody else could. So here comes Jesus walking on the water and he's just going to walk by him. They're in the boat. <laughs> bailing. <laughs> Come on guys. We got to get this done. And then they look up. And they get a little freaked out. Right? It's a storm. Wind blowing. And nobody can walk on the water. It's got to be It's got to be a ghost. It's got to be something wrong. This is... This is bad. This can't be right. This can't be good. So it says, <clears throat> When they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And they cried out. So they start screaming. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said, Be of good cheer. It is me. It's I. Do not be afraid. Now I want you to hear what he says. Because we miss it in the English. And it doesn't make the same sense to us. But as they look at him and they start freaking out, he goes, Hey, be of good cheer. I am. That's what he says. Same thing God said to Moses. Same thing Jesus says seven times throughout the, the, the Gospel of John describing Almighty God and what he's like. He says, I am. All of a sudden they realize, oh yeah. Now, Mark doesn't record for us Peter's part because Mark is Peter's Gospel. And Peter doesn't want to talk about himself. Especially if he messes up and sinks, he just thinks that's not... As important. The other gospels, however, tell us, right? Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me, come. Bid me come, and I'll come. So the Lord said, Peter, come. He jumps out the boat, walks on the water. People bust the chops of the other disciples all the time. God didn't tell them to get out. Did he? He said, You come. So Peter come out, walked on the water, falls. Good lesson, right? Keep your eyes on the Lord. Same lesson that we're talking about. Jesus gets in the boat. What happens? What does the scripture tell us happens? Storm stops immediately. Water turns to glass immediately. And they're on shore immediately. What's the lesson? Look, what you can't do with all this effort, I can do just by being with you. How did they do the stuff when they went out and reached out? Jesus was with them. How did they feed the 5,000? Jesus gave them the food, right? How'd they do it? They just used what Jesus gave them. What about in the boat? Oh, work, 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 work. They're working, not getting anywhere. Things aren't working out for them. Jesus gives them what they need. Well, listen. So they're on the shore, it says, And he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and marveled. Look at that next phrase. 
I know you all thinking Jackie's making all this stuff up. For they had under, for they had not understood about the loaves. Why? Because their heart was hard. They're mad. They didn't get lesson number one, so they got lesson number two. That ever happened to anybody else? You guys think that only happens to the disciples, huh? God doesn't do that in our lives. We don't get a lesson number one. Whoop, I missed that one. What's following lesson number one? Lesson number two. What follows lesson number two? Yep, you guys got it. You get the idea. So it just keeps on going until we understand the lesson that God's teaching. So what is it? Hardness of heart is a lack of spiritual perceptivity. The lack of readiness to learn. The idea that you already know the answer. That I already know what to do. That I already got it figured out. Lord, I don't need you on this one. I got it. Or your heart gets hard because you're sure that you're going to get a day off. And you're going to have time. But then that person who always seems to know just the right time when you're about to have some quiet time with your family and they call. Man, you're kidding me. What, I got a flashing neon sign over my name somewhere? It says, Jackie's about to sit down and relax. Grandkids see that, I think, sometimes. (laughs) Be ready. In season and out of season. Give them what they need. What do they need? They don't need you. What do they need? Jesus. So what do you give them? Jesus. And as long as you're the answer for their problems, where are they going to go? To you. So what do you need to teach them? Go to Jesus. How do you do that? Same way Jesus did. He just taught them. Got to go to Jesus. Let's go to Jesus. Let's go to Jesus. Let's go to Jesus. Let's pray. Let's go to Jesus. Doesn't take that much time. Let's go to Jesus. Nobody asks you to solve their problem. Don't try to solve their problem. You can't do it. You got a basket of five loaves and two fish and 5,000 people to feed. You can't feed people with that. Where do you got to give your basket? To Jesus. You got to take them to Jesus. You got to show them Jesus. You got to bring them to Jesus. And so they understand their hardness of heart didn't give them eyes to see. The last part is they had smallness of faith. But I almost don't like that word. Smallness of faith. It's not so much smallness of faith as it is faith in the wrong stuff. Your quality or size of faith is irrelevant. The object of your faith is everything. You guys get what I mean? The object. Jesus Christ. He's the one. It's not the ability to speak or whether or not you're good with jokes or, or how well you can stir a crowd or move people. It's all about Him. Jesus. 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 Him. His power flows through or is no good for nobody if it don't come from him so when i say smallness of faith i just mean it's the object was the object of their faith their own ability their ability to row their ability to bail was the object of their faith oh they're going to get enough time alone with jesus and then everything be okay so all these different issues they got that they're fighting through instead of just putting their eyes on christ and follow him do what he does Jesus wasn't freaking out of the multitude, was he? Good, good thing to understand. If, he's not, if, if God's not freaking out, we probably don't need to. 
We just need to stay attached to Him. Stay clinging to Him. Because little is much in the hands of the Lord. So look at verse 53. So when they had crossed over and they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there, and when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized Him. People see Him, they're coming to Him. They ran through the whole surrounding area and began to carry about on beds those who were sick. And wherever they heard He was, wherever He entered into villages, the cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged Him that He might just touch the hem of His garment. And as many as touched Him were made well. As many as had the object of faith, Jesus Christ, made well, made well. Huge problem. Did Jesus solve all illness and sickness on earth while He was here? Nope. So then the issue wasn't to solve all illness and sickness. Right? He just kept showing his disciples. Same lesson. Same lesson. The power to change lives, to transform people, to see things radically changed in life can be accomplished by all of you. By any of you. Little is much in the hands of the Lord. The key you got to have the authority that he gave. You ever read Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Then what's he say? Go therefore. What's that mean? Because I have all authority, I will give it to you. Go. Go. And do what? I don't have a lot to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. What? I, I can't do all this stuff. I, I can't heal nobody. You're right. Newsflash. You never could. Neither can anybody else. If someone's healed, God healed them. If someone's not healed, God didn't heal them. If someone is, is, has seen uh, miracles in their life, God did miracles in their life. If somebody doesn't see miracles in their life, God didn't do miracles in their life. Same God. What's the, what's the lesson? Two things I just want you to grab out of that. You go through your Bibles. Most of the people Jesus healed and did miracles for were lost. Most of the ones he told no were disciples. Interesting concept. Maybe because sometimes we get in the storm and we're just working them oars a little too much. And we need to look to Jesus. And we need to have Him, His power, His guidance, responding to His Holy Spirit. Right? So that we can do... Doesn't Jesus say, the things that I've done and greater you shall do? Didn't Jesus say that? Is that true or a lie? It's true. But how do we do it? Because of us? Because of Him. How do you feed 5,000? You give what food you got to Jesus and He does it. How do you heal the sick? You take the sick, you give them to Jesus and He does it. Right? Whatever's going on, whatever struggles are happening, whatever things are going on in life, Jesus is the answer. He's the shepherd we need. He might not be the shepherd we want all the time. But he's the shepherd we need. The Lord's my shepherd, I, I shall not want. He'll make me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. 
And yea, though I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to come before you. To give you praise and thanks, Lord Jesus, for for lessons learned. God, and I pray, Lord, it's our desire. We're not looking for a revolution. We're looking for our shepherd. And I pray, Lord, like good sheep, we would follow the shepherd. Even as you said, come and follow me. That we recognize anything that we accomplish is not accomplished because we did something great. It's accomplished because God worked in us. But in order for God to work in us, we have to bring what we have to him and offer it. And then, little is much in the hands of the Lord. So God, I pray you would take us, bless us, break us, and use us to further your kingdom for your glory. So that we do not look like sheep with no shepherd. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.